Morning. Morning. So just a little survey, just to check that I got it correct. How many, uh, how many people here got Easter eggs, uh, received Easter eggs from their other halves? Three. That's right. I'm in, the, I'm in the majority. I didn't get one for Alice. So that's fine. I was just checking. So uh, as I had mentioned, it's Easter. So happy Easter. So today is obviously the day that our Lord and Saviour has risen from the cross. And for those of you that don't know me, my name is Paul. And my wife and Alice sat here at the front. Not, not this Alice, this Alice. Yeah, <laughs> that could be confusing. Uh, so we've been uh, members of NLCC for the past sort of nine years, really. Uh, and during that time, we've had two uh, amazing little children, Lily and Bertie, who have now gone out. Uh, and we've seen this church grow, um, I think, as Alice mentioned. So we're now one church across three sites. Um, and, yeah, it's been amazing to be part of that journey and to see the church grow and develop in that time. Um, no thanks in small part to our amazing team of elders who have led us so faithfully over that time. So I just publicly want to say thank you to, to them. Um, yeah, I just feel it's important to do that. So thank you very much to our elders. Um, there's only two of you here this morning, but yeah, for your faithful leadership over the, well, the nine years that we've been here anyway. So today we're going to carry on with our series in Mark, and we're going to be looking at Mark 6, verses 30 to 53. And if there's anyone who's visiting this morning, then we've been uh, looking through Mark uh, since the beginning of the year. So Mark is a book in the New Testament, and it's written by one of Jesus' disciples, not surprisingly, by a man called Mark. (laughs) So what have we seen so far? So a very brief summary. So far we've seen Jesus uh, start his ministry He's performed miracles and he's started his teaching. The disciples have been chosen and they're following Jesus on this ministry tour. And they reached a significant point for the disciples where they've been given permission to go off in their pairs and teach what Jesus has been saying. And then with the power of the Holy Spirit, they've been able to go and perform miracles. And now this is where we're going to pick up the passage So if you've got it and you want to turn to it, it's Mark 6, and we're going to start at verse 30 and read through to verse 53. It's entitled, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, recognising them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? 
How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And then Jesus walks on water. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. Just need to turn this around, I think. Sorry. No. Keep seeing it out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> That's better. Can't see it now. Okay, the feeding of the 5,000s. I've entitled this bit, Jesus' Compassion and the Disciples' Frustration. So, at the beginning of the chapter, we're reminded that disciples have been away and they've been preaching and performing miracles. And this was just as Jesus instructed them to do. And they have now returned to Jesus. So just like us, when we've been away, we've done something amazing, we come back and we're so full of beans about what we've done, we just want to tell everyone about it. They wanted to share the news. That's the same as the disciples. They wanted to share with each other the miracles that they had seen performed. Let's remember, they had been sent out with an instruction. And that was instruction was to take nothing with them, to go out in the clothes that they stand in. They're to rely on the Holy Spirit to provide everything for them. Their shelter, their food, everything was to be provided by the Holy Spirit. They had no idea where these provisions were going to come from, but they just had faith that they would be provided. And God was faithful, and all their needs were provided. And now that they've returned, Jesus recognizes that the disciples are tired, and he says, let's go off and rest by ourselves for a while. So it's important to note here, Jesus doesn't say, just go away, take some time and recover. He says, come away with me and recover. The best recovery here is by resting and staying in fellowship with me. So Jesus here is recognizing the physical recovery that these disciples need. He knows that their bodies need physical recovery, and they also need a mental recovery as well from all the exertion that they've been doing. 
They need to be away from the front line and they need to recharge their batteries so that they're phys physically and spiritually ready to go again. And God knows that we can't work all the time. We go back to Genesis. On the seventh day, God rested. And for us, to perform at our best, we need to rest. If we're burnt out, we need to rest. I always refer to running because it's kind of what I do other than being a husband and a dad. Um, if I don't have rest days for running, then I burn out and I stop. Um, and your body breaks down. In those rest days, it's when your body recovers, your muscles replenish, your heart gets stronger, your lungs increase in their capacity. And that's done on the rest days, not on the working days. And so as Christians, we're not able to learn and we're not able to grow if we are constantly giving out. We also need time to absorb what we are learning. And here, Jesus is instructing his disciples to do just that. So, as the disciples were in the boat, and they were going to a quiet place to recuperate, they suddenly have a dawning that their rest is going to have to wait. Other priorities have arisen. People who are eager to see and hear Jesus, they'd reached the far shore of the lake ahead of him. So at this point, Jesus has could have turned the boat around and said no no we need to rest here let's come back to these people tomorrow once we've had a chance to recover but he didn't he showed compassion on those people on the far shore and he actually says these people are like sheep without a shepherd he knew that they needed food for their soul and he was the only one that could provide it so they landed and they started teaching, or Jesus started teaching. So we've looked a little look at the timeline. So by this point, it was late in the, de in, the de in the day. And I would imagine that the disciples are now tired and they're hungry. And what does that make? A tired and hungry person? Hangry. <laughs> so a separate life lesson, just completely away from, uh, away from this. But I've recently learned this through running adventures, not surprisingly. A little motto that you can remember, low mood, eat some food. And it works. It's a life lesson for everything, not just running, you know. If you have a low mood, eat some food. Okay, so the disciples here have recognized that there's a practical need to feed the crowd. And they have come up with a practical solution for that need, you know. And they say to Jesus, let's disperse the crowd. Let them go and get some food in the towns and villages. You know, they can be fed and then we can come back. And Jesus' response to them, no, no, you feed them. And like us, when we're hangry, I can imagine them with frustration in their voices saying, that would cost half a year's wages. Do you want us to find half a year's wages and go out and spend that on some bread for all these people? And then in 12 hours' time, they're going to be hungry again. You can imagine the annoyance in their voices at that when they're in that state of, of hanger. And then Jesus says, what have you got here? And so the disciples were kind of thinking... 
sticking the boot in over here a bit, but have they not learned anything from their time away? They were sent out with absolutely nothing apart from the clothes that they were wearing. And everything that they needed was provided for them. They were fed and they were watered. You know, they had somewhere to sleep. Is this not exactly the same scenario, just on a bigger scale? So are they here, are they limiting the ability of Jesus? Are they limiting the ability of the Holy Spirit? And are we guilty of doing exactly that? So do we just pray for the small things? Because in our mind, they can happen. And do we not pray for those bigger things? Because, you know, that's, that's just too much. Are we putting a limit on God's ability? Let's just remember, God created everything from nothing. What we believe to be impossible is possible. Nothing is possible for God. And he was just about to prove that to the disciples. So the disciples return with five loaves and two fish. Jesus breaks bread and shares it. And then 5,000 men were fed, plus the women and children. So it's thought about 20,000 people were fed in total. And I just want to highlight here, this was real food that was broken and spread amongst the crowds. We know that because the details of the leftovers, 12 basketfuls, show that this was real food. This was not a hunger that was suppressed by the Holy Spirit. And also, this wasn't an unorganized meal, like a buffet at a children's party where it's just like, okay, food time, straight in for the crisps. Um, this, there was an order into what Jesus did. The crowds were gathered and they were asked to sit in groups of 50s and 100s. And then the food was shared round by the disciples. What can we learn from this? Well, firstly, whatever we have, if we bring it to God, it may be just a small amount, but God can do amazing things with it. And he will be faithful with whatever we bring. So let's not put our own limits on God's ability. Because God has no limits. So that was a lesson for the disciples, but it's also a lesson for us. We're all ordinary people. We've got no special abilities. And yet, if we give ourselves over to God and ask him to be the center of our lives, he can and will use us to do extraordinary things. And secondly, this miracle was performed and, and happened when the disciples were at their lowest they were physically and mentally at the end of their energy supplies. Let's just remember, they've been on the road for weeks, relying on the goodness of strangers. That takes a mental toll, as well as a physical toll. Their physical bodies needed a rest, and they were mentally drained. So the most amazing part of this miracle is that God used tired, weak, emotionally drained people to perform one of the biggest miracles that is recorded. So are we not always in that frame of mind, tired, weak, and emotional? Just think what God can do with us. He wants to use us whatever state we are in. He loves each of us. 
He knows we're all weak, fragile, and emotional, but he still wants to use us. We don't have to be young, vibrant, and full of energy. We just have to be alive and willing to do as God would want us to do. So moving on to the next miracle. Jesus walking on the water. I've entitled this bit just Jesus showing his power and the disciples don't see it. So the meal is over. The leftovers have been collected and then we read. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. We don't come across a verse like this that often in Jesus' ministry, but this, I class it as a forceful verse. Firstly, Jesus immediately told the disciples to go, and then he made them go. So the disciples are still tired and emotional, might not be hangry anymore. They've just seen an amazing miracle performed, and they wanted to stay around to see what else might be happening. At the end of a film, you might want to say to see the end of the credits, to see the uh, outtakes. You know, remember the days of CDs, secret tracks at the very end if you let it play on, you know, just in case you want to see what's at the end of it. I can imagine the disciples being similar there. They wanted to see, we've just seen this amazing thing. Is there something going to happen next? But Jesus is like, no, no, you need to go. Now go. And he makes them go. He was insistent. And he, he said, I will deal with the crowd. You go. So I can imagine here Jesus was having to use his, like, you know, forceful voice. Those of us who are parents, trying to get the kids to bed. Yeah. They want to stay playing outside and you have to... Lily, Bertie, bedtime now. Just go up the stairs. That's Jesus. Come on. Disciples, go. Just go. Get on the boat. Go to the other side of the lake. You need to rest. Jesus being forceful there. And sometimes we hear Jesus' voice on our lives, a forceful voice, and it's so clear and so precise that we need to go and speak to that person or we must make that change in our life or we must go to that place. And that's Jesus being forceful with us. And Jesus knew what was about to happen and he knew what he was descending the disciples into. He knew the storm that was coming. And it's similar to us. Jesus knows when we are in storms and he knows when we have been led into a storm. So it's important to highlight that just because something is tough, it's hard work, or it's stormy, that doesn't mean it's wrong. And it doesn't mean it's not where you're supposed to be at that moment in time. As Christians, we're not promised an easy time. Let's look at the disciples again. They were ridiculed. They were imprisoned and stoned for their faith. But there is hope. In John 16, 33, we read, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And today is Easter Sunday. 
This is the day when we remember Jesus' resurrection. The day that he defeated death. The day that he overcame the world. And the day that led to us all having the choice to be saved. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you have no idea what I am talking about, I just want to tell you that today is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. He'd been hung on the cross, he had died, his body had been laid in a tomb, and then on the third day, this day, he rose again. Why did he do this? Jesus was the Son of God, and he was the only one that could save us from death. He died for our sins to be wiped away. Jesus died on that cross, and he rose again to show his sovereignty over death. And Jesus beat death so that we can have a direct relationship with God. So our sins can be taken away. We don't need an intermediary. We can talk to God directly through our prayers. And all we need to do is ask God to forgive us for our sins and welcome him into our lives. So whilst I was highlighting that we may be led into tough times, it's also important to say, that we are told in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 that we will be never, I've just paraphrased this, but we will never be led into something that we cannot deal with and God will always give us a way out. So God will always see us. It doesn't matter if you have a relationship with God or not. He sees you. He's there waiting for you to ask him, to, ask him for help, to ask him to come into your life. He sees every one of us, those who believe and those who don't, and he wants to help us all. And God will help when you ask him for it. He will come into your life when you ask him to come in. And he won't barge in without an invite. The decision is all yours. So as we go back to the passage in verses 47 to 48. We read that God knows our situation and our circumstances. He knows everything. So Jesus was up a mountain. The disciples were rowing a boat across a lake. It was dark. The disciples were struggling to make progress. The wind was against them. When the wind and the water combine, they make waves and spray. We're talking 2,000 years ago here. The rowing boat would not have had lights on it. And yet, we read Jesus could see the disciples straining. Here we're learning an important lesson. Jesus can see what our human eyes can't see. So what does Jesus do? What's his response? So looking at the timeline again, here it was late at night when Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars. But the next thing... It was not until shortly before dawn that he went to the disciples walking on the water. So Jesus knew what was happening, and he already had a rescue plan. It was all under his control, and he spent that time in between praying, talking to his Father in heaven. So from there we learn that God knows everything. And we're learning here that Jesus is God in the form of a man. He knows everything, sees everything, and can do anything. And David sums this up best in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, which I'll just read. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So Jesus, he goes out to the disciples and he walks, to say it casually, he just walks on the water. He's going against the wind and he's got no trouble whatsoever in reaching the disciples. It's not to be missed here. Jesus has got the power over the laws of nature and the laws of physics. Yeah, he is walking on water. Just... Just, you know, crazy. Um, can't really put that into words. So, now for a slightly interesting bit. Um, we read that Jesus was about to uh, pass by the disciples whilst he was walking on the water. I'm not going to lie, I did struggle with this. Like, what? Jesus is about to go and play peekaboo, you know, like we do with the kids. Well, when they're smaller, not so much now. Um, you know, he's going to go and play peekaboo. And like, just doesn't doesn't compute. Does that that doesn't sound right? That doesn't sound like the character of Jesus that we you know. Just going to have a bit of fun and games with them whilst they're they're really scared and worried about what's happening, really straining hard. I'll just go and have a game of peekaboo. No, let's looking into it a bit deeper. So, if we think of Moses at Mount Sinai, God passes by him to reveal himself to Moses. And again with Elijah at Mount Horeb, God passes by Elijah to reveal himself. So I'm taking from that that Jesus' intention here was to reveal himself to God, to, the, as, to God as the disciples, to the disciples. It wasn't just to walk past him and pass them by and play a game of peekaboo. But what actually happens? So I don't know if any of you have had, uh, well, everyone whose parents had sleep deprivation, but sleep deprivation to the extent that you've started having hallucinations. A previous time, I sat in the woods for a few days, um, and uh, you can ask me about it later. It's, it's not that exciting. I had to stay awake and literally having hallucinations. I could have sworn to you that I saw a Jack Russell running around the woods. I could have sworn to you that a tree had turned into a goblin. Like, goblins aren't even real, you know? I, I don't read anything which has got goblins in it because I, it's just gobbledygook. I can't be interested. Um, but yeah, I could have sworn to you that I saw these things. Now, normally, a good like shake of the head, put some water on your face, something like that will wake you up. And at that point, like you realize that the, the Jack Russell is actually just some leaves rolling along and the goblin is just the, the trunk of a tree in the distance. And the disciples would have been used to long hours of sleep deprivation and what I class as the sleep monsters. But here they were. They were generally scared of what they were seeing. This was no sleep monster that they were seeing. This figure was not going away. No matter how much spray they put on their face, this figure was still there. It was real. Let's just remember, none of us have ever seen a man walking on water. 
the disciples had never seen a man walking on water. And the fear was so real and so severe that it gripped them, completely engulfed them. And they were paralyzed with fear to the extent that they didn't recognize this person who was walking on the water. This fear took over all of their senses. And it wasn't until Jesus spoke and said, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And that the disciples realized who Jesus was. Again, this sentence has a double significance. Um, by saying it is I, Jesus is revealing himself as God to the disciples. When we were studying Moses last year, we saw that Moses was instructed to say, I am has sent me, meaning God has sent me. Jesus saying, it is I, revealing himself as the divine figure. So it's only the divine power of God that can calm the fears of the disciples. It's only the divine power of God that has authority over the laws of nature and physics. No one else can or has ever been able to walk on water. And the disciples' fears were quashed by the presence of God. The same is true for us. The fears and the worries that we have can only be truly be quashed, quashed, quashed and removed by the divine power of God. We have to hand them over to God. And it's important to note that we have to hand them over to God. God is not a thief. He won't take them from us unless we first hand them over to him. We look for help in so many ways. We seek help for our worries in drink, in drugs, in social media, on the internet, when what we actually need to do is ask God for a calmness of spirit and help with our worries. And it's our choice. We're making the choice to stumble on on our own, and we don't need to. So when Jesus got into that boat, the storm ceased. When Jesus comes into our lives, our lives are changed. We have help to deal with those storms. Jesus becomes our captain, and he will guide us and help us navigate the oceans of life. And then just as we come to a close, there's just one more thing I want to highlight. And that is this. Jesus is not a quitter. In this passage, Jesus reveals himself three times as God to the disciples. The first time, by producing the food for the 5,000. And at that point, he was showing that he had power to provide for all of our needs. Secondly, by passing by in the boat. But the disciples were too scared and tired to see and understand what was happening. And the third time, by saying... It is I, referring to himself as God. I just want us to be encouraged that God will never give up on you. I can ask the worship team to come up. So we've read about two miracles here. One massively public 
and the second one very private. Now, miracles happen all the time with God. They happen publicly and they happen privately. People are healed in public and bills are paid with money dropped through a letterbox anonymously. God provides for all of our situations and he uses us to perform his miracles. Whatever our physical or mental state, we are useful to God. Miracles are commonplace in God's kingdom. So I just want to leave us with a challenge. And as we do our best learning and listening when we are fresh. The disciples did not see Jesus for who he was because they were physically and mentally exhausted. Now don't get me wrong, they were still used by God, but they didn't get to appreciate the fullness of the miracles performed in front of them. So if you need a break from something, let's take it. We serve best when we're fresh, we learn best when we are fresh, and we listen best when we are fresh. Let's remember, resting is a godly trait, but rest with God, not away from him. Go to that place where you feel close to God and away from distractions. Again, for me, that's running in the countryside, no one around, and the amazing beauty of God's creation. Find that place for yourself and enjoy it. And as we go into a time of worship, I want to encourage you to come forward and receive prayer. If you're feeling tired and weak, then let's play for a refreshment, a renewal of spirit. And pray that even in our tiredness, our eyes will be open to God's miracles and we will be used for his purposes. Let's remember, our tiredness is no barrier to God's greatness. And if you are going through a stormy time at the moment, remember God still has you in his sights. He still loves you and cares for you. And let's pray for help and guidance through these stormy times. And finally, if you don't know that Jesus, and this is all new to you, let's ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask him to step on board the boat and steady the ship, and he will do exactly that.